All right, we got Robbie Ross back. I'm here, man. This it's is back at high atop the. I know it's Killjoy Ranch here. It's kind of weird because I feel like I'm on your show because <laughs> we got all the good equipment set up, and you brought you brought your rig, which is always a good thing because you have better stuff and you know how to use your stuff better than I do. Uh, it's a work in progress. It always <laughs> is. Yours is too because you got a lot better stuff than. Than uh, than you guys used to have. Used to, yeah, yeah. Now that I will agree. You with. guys have done some major renovation and upgrades here. Really nice. Well, it's like everything else. You learn as you go. Right, you know? right. You have to screw a bunch of stuff up to figure out. That's the only way to learn. I I, I believe that. Yeah, one of our iTunes reviews. It's not even a bad one, but it's it's a less than positive one, and I, I don't even slightly disagree with it. It because it was early on. It's one of the first reviews we got about the show on iTunes and. They said, oh, the quality's not really what I'm used to on podcasts, but the guys are witty and funny, and I'll enjoy listening to it. It's about the material anyway. You know? <laughs> yeah. But but at the time that review was made, I, I would not disagree at all. The quality was not <laughs> not comparable to any any decent podcast out there, but it's, it's improved. You know, you learn, which you already knew about editing and stuff like that because you do so much with music. And all the stuff I, I did with music was like demos. You know, right. and, then, and then I turned the demos over to somebody who like you that knows what they're doing. Um, so like when you you can even if you know what you're doing with your software, it also opens up a whole nother door. And then the other aspect is having, you know, you upgrade equipment as you go. So having right. the equipment and having the know how, because I, I've seen people with a podcast studio that's like, whoa, but they don't know how to run it. So. Right. So it's and, kind of a combination of both. And a lot of times it's like. The equipment is catered to what you do. So sometimes people just read what other people do and go buy all this crazy amount of gear because they're like, oh, that's what they do, but not realizing later on that for it's catered to specifically what you do. And um, I've learned so much along the way. I mean, I didn't come in to, to it knowing what I was doing either, like you, you know, adequately give me credit for, but um, it's, it's something that you learn by like you learn what a lot of what not to do. Oh, know? absolutely. Yeah. And then if you stay in there long enough and learn how to actual operate the gear that you have, you don't actually have to go buy the great gear. It's just learn how to work what you got, you know? And, uh, that's what I've learned over time. Of course, the more I learn, I'm like, Oh, I need this for this specific reason. Right. Versus having something that can do something that I don't even know that it can do. Yeah. Or that I need to do that, you know. Uh, but uh, that's what I give the podcast podcast a lot of credit for because when I jumped in there, it was really you giving me a shot to uh, to learn, and and you had a lot of faith in me uh, to to do that. And I like how it organically happened. You you wanted to just come over and help out. You didn't want to be on the show, no. And it was sort of like I love Howard Stern's show. Uh, his movie, what's it called? Robin, uh, Private you, Barts yeah. or something like that. Private Barts, yeah. But you're talking about Robin yeah, that, Gibbons. Uh, yeah, he wasn't supposed to interact with her, no. but he did it anyway, and then she became a part of the show. <laughs> and uh, you went sneaky, sneaky. You quickly went from just silent sound engineer to a regular personality for a very long time, and it, it was really fun. And I, I learned a lot during that time, and I'm still learning every day. It's like we were talking before we started recording, like. Uh, which We're, as usual should should have been recorded. <laughs> yeah, probably a lot of what we said should have been recorded. But when in the situation I'm at now where you set up and you tear down, you set up and you tear down, there was a lot of inconsistency 
and but now I'm learning that too, you know. Right. Because uh, one thing about a, a lot of the podcast equipment is like there's so many places where you have to turn the volume up and down. Right. <laughs> you know, and like we're using headphones today, like like you should. I, I just I don't because I'm lazy. But every everywhere there's a a volume knob, and you right. have to kind of balance them all out in the sweet spot. <laughs> It's like, why am I not getting anything? Oh, I got to click on this tab and then scroll down and turn the volume, the fader up on this software. Too, too many gain stages. That's yeah, your worst. Exactly. That's every sound engineer's worst nightmare. It's like, I got 15 gain stages before I get to the final thing. Yeah, and your baseline audio has to be just about mid-range perfect. And one thing I've learned is to eyeball it because you can see the sound yeah. wave. And if it looks thin, bad. If it looks fat, too fat, <laughs> because it's easier because if you get too much eclipse, if you don't get enough, well, then you have to turn it way up and then you're turning everything up, including that air conditioner. In the right. Background. Well, you <laughs> definitely cannot trust your ears because you may have the, a sound, you know, like I was saying, the gain stage somewhere may be hot. You know, you look at your meters, uh, the numbers yeah. is what tell you where you're at, at yeah. what decibels you're at. See, I used to use my ears and then I'll have, you know, I need more of that. And then, Next thing you know, it's peaking out because I gave it too much. But um, now I look at actual up and down meters to tell me where I'm at on the decimal level. And then when you go to mix it down, then you mix it down based on on those parameters versus like, oh, now I can't hear it, you know. And then when you introduce uh, callers, when people call in for interviews, that's a whole nother dimension because what they hear is not necessarily what the people listening hear. Right. It may be they don't hear it enough, but then the other people hear it too much or vice versa. And then, you know, you can hear them fine, but they might, may not can hear you fine. Exactly. And it's so that's a whole nother dynamic you have to <laughs> have to balance out. Luckily now, again, we were talking earlier, I have good internet now and, and I could start doing it's still the ma- the amazing internet, how, like Zoom stuff, which will be still, easier. It's still amazing how um, this type of software and and equipment can get into the layman's hands. Because used to in the 80s and early 90s, it took a room full of people yeah, to do what we're doing right now. And racks and racks of, of equipment. Gear, of outboard gear, yeah. And so the fact that the, the technology is caught up with us, that we can literally do this now with easily affordable equipment is, is amazing. Yeah, I think back to Clyde Holly Studio where we did our first couple of albums. And man, he had to have, I, don't, I would estimate $150,000 worth of just right like cabinets full of racks full of all kinds of equalizers and faders and amplifiers and limiters compressors everything everything. and now you could literally do all that with a laptop and a microphone or two that's it that's it (laughs) just the, the laptop has everything that whole studio and when i say studio i don't mean a small room like this i mean right a full blown like studio you know, and it's getting to the point where, like, you know, the people who didn't use that old outboard gear, they understand the software better than the the computer whizzes because they used to actually work the real things. Right. And all this software is designed to emulate that thing. Mm-hmm. And so all these new people coming up, they don't, they never turned the a knob of a real compressor, you know, so they, they just only use software. And, um, that that weird learning curve is an interesting spoke in the wheel of of having to learn. I, you know, I started out on 
a lot of analog gear, you know, but when, when I used the compressor, it was, it was in a rack mount, you know, Yeah, <laughs> it was a real thing. And, uh, but, uh, it, it's, it's been quite a jump to figure out the digital world, but. Yeah. And it was funny to watch it catch up because in the beginning it was like analog was everything and it still is awesome to do analog, but it's just not practical anymore. When digital first came out, it sounded like crap. Like it hadn't caught up yeah. yet, like quality wise. But right. now, dude, like the stuff they're doing, like you were talking about, like you can get a microphone and do a, a, a preset plug in on it and make it sound like any microphone you want it to sound like. Right. Do you want it to be a Sure SM7B? Cool, no problem. Yeah. Uh, do you want it to be a. a, a Without a, physically changing the microphone out. Right. You, know? you just change <laughs> yeah. the, the setting. Yeah. yeah. And uh, same with drums. You, right. You can, you can lay out a electronic set of pads and make it sound like you know neil pert's drum set yeah you know which which is it, it amazes me that people are still surprised to know that their favorite favorite album by their favorite band by their favorite drummer really didn't actually play on that album and that happens more than they know <laughs> you know uh it's the it's amazing to me that they're still surprised by that because it's so much better and easier to accomplish it's better sounding and easier to accomplish when it's not the real thing. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, it starts with the real thing. It starts with the, a human dreaming up of the parts and, uh, writing this, the, you know, the parts that go in the song. So it still starts with the human, but when, when it hits the final thing that, that hits your ears is all been doubled, replaced, you know, stacked, you know, every, every, all of that, you know, it's not actually the real guy anymore. Yeah, probably a hundred years from now, they won't even need performers. And, and it's perfect because <laughs> they can just use enough plugins. If you know how to work the software, <laughs> you don't even need people to write exactly. the songs. <laughs> and, uh, and the original guy maybe just a little bit off time, and they snapped it to a grid. So now he's like, we can al- already get a man. singer that sounds like shit and make them sound awesome. Yeah, well, that's my dude. That's, that's called pop music. That's that's <laughs> by definition of of the music industry. Today. I got the pop music people on the line, and they're not ever. <laughs> They never are. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, we uh, got together tonight uh, to pay tribute to a good friend, a fallen brother. Uh, I wanted to give a, a shout out to Dell, the primetime hitman. He did something similar to this on his radio show on uh, The Edge. Right. And that was called 88.5, the MUW, WMUW. And uh, Michaela Compton. Does yeah, the, she uh, did too. Uh, she did songwriter. She did one on uh, local licks. Isn't that still Z nine eight five? Yes, Z nine eight five. Out of Tupelo. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're kind of late to the party, but I know for you this has been a tough time. Uh, for all of us, it's been a tough time. But you and Dakota were really, really close, and this has just been a. It's been a shock, and we're still in the mourning phase, but hopefully we're at the place now where we can. Not just mourn, but also celebrate the life of an amazing musician and a, and a great person and a hilarious person. Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted to kind of share with you my fondest memory. And I, you, uh, I was going to ask you here in a minute how you got to know Dakota. I know, obviously, I got to know him through you guys because he was in Seeking Seven and, you know, we're so closely related together in the music business. Um, I remember there, like, Kill J would have a lot of downtime and, if there was a if there was a weekend where y'all had a gig, I would just be like, I'm rodeoing for Seeking Seven this week, right? You know, and I would just jump in the suburban with you guys, and I'd help y'all load in, and then 
during the show, I would hang out and just be a, a fan in the crowd, drink all the beers at the bar and then help y'all load out. And, uh, we had a lot of, a lot of fun doing all that stuff. I think about Rockapalooza or when you guys finally came up there, there's at a festival, there's so much hurry up and wait. It's like, get here at 9am. You're playing at 10 o'clock tonight, you know? So <laughs> we're just hanging out and just being goofy and silly and, and trying to make each other laugh and pass the time. But my fondest memory was when, and it's hard to believe this was 2013, um, when we were recording the Rev Bell album, uh, Dakota came out for a couple of days to help you out with the engineering and, and the recording. Because not only did you record that album, but you were a performer on the album as well. You had guitar parts to play. And so when you were playing, he would kind of man the controls for you. And uh, I remember we had such a good time during that time just laughing like i would laugh just until i was in physical pain uh, there's actual i i can't ironically this is before dakota passed but the week before i don't know what i was doing I, I, oh i discovered there's two kill j youtube pages it's probably uh, more channels. than that but yeah, yeah. Well, I found a second channel, and it had video from the Rev Bell session. The making the, of? Yeah, it's still the out there. And, then, and um, I watched the section where um, I was actually uh, tracking the solo to uh, Bloodstained Halo. And, uh, yeah. And uh, Dakota was my producer engineer. He was pushing me to, to really dig in and get that solo done right. And uh, I think I did like 30 takes on it. And yeah. he was patient with every take and uh like you said funny but there's a video out there if you want to go yeah he's he's on the video and uh i know that's when we had the the batman the big batman doll <laughs> and everybody was sitting around eating supper and i would like get my phone out and film it and i would put batman up like up beside your face and go <laughs> what do you want to do <laughs> i did that to like everybody around the table <laughs> Uh, I had a, such a, such a good time during that. And it's hard to believe it was that long ago, but uh, it is. Dakota was such a funny dude, man. Like, I, I can't imagine ever. You know that that game you play where you stare at each other, and the first person that laughs loses. Right. There's no way I could have done that. I would have <laughs> instantly just lost. Yeah, and that's I think the the hardest part about losing Dakota for me is that um. It's not, it's not supposed to be over yet. Mm. And what I mean by that, there's, there's more road trips we had and there's more albums to record. I mean, we were not finished and then knowing that he's, he's not here to help me finish all that. I mean, it, it's really, um, it's really, it's really gut punched me and I've been, I've been struggling to, uh, to learn to, to accept that and, yeah and uh but you're right he was the the funniest person that you'll ever meet he's contagious when you walk in a room i mean because at the point he'll make you laugh about even the things that are not even funny yeah and uh um and he was he had such a drive and passion um about everything he did and you know, I thought I told people a lot of times I was like deep inside, you know, beyond his comical external uh appearance, 
he uh he's more particular about things than even i am he's more meticulous about things than i am and if it wasn't right he would like let's do it again let's do it until we get it right and and um you know and that's that's what i love because i love having someone to push me and and having a desire to just create music and and give it to the world the way that we had a chance to do and uh, um i just you know i still have a hard time accepting that 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 part is done you know i can't call them up and say listen to my new song listen to this new idea i can you know um the one it wasn't the last time i spoke with him i spoke with him the morning he passed away but um one of the last times was in, back in December when we dropped the uh, the new Stick and Seven record, and um, I didn't even realize that I haven't sent the final product to him yet. I, I just didn't even it didn't even dawn on me that oh yeah I hadn't sent it to him yet. But he sent me a message to say hey if you want me to take that last couple mixes let me know, and uh, I was like oh no yeah yeah I'm done with it I didn't send it to you yet, and uh, I said but let me send it to you real quick because I can still make changes if I need to. And I thought I got the most sweetest reply from him. Is like, um, he said, uh, he's talking about the chaos, before, I mean, uh, excuse me, what few remain volume two. Yeah. Uh, his <clears throat> reply, but I would read it from my phone because it's still there. I'll, I'll probably screenshot it and save it forever. But he said, uh, don't change a thing because there's nothing I can say to make it any better. It's probably the best stuff that came out of the Deacon 7 camp. And, and if you know Dakota, Trust me, if you know Dakota, he doesn't give compliments. I mean, he's the most honest person you'll meet. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, because he wouldn't, he wouldn't want to do you the disservice of just being nice and being right. like, "Oh yeah, dude, that sounds great." That wasn't him. Uh, he would, he would be honest. Like I, I got lucky enough to work with you and him. He'd be on, honest in a nice way, but he was still. Oh yeah, honest. yeah, definitely. Um, I got really lucky to work with y'all on um. Not the surface. Chaos before fall. Chaos yeah. before the fall. Yeah. There's the one where I did a pitiful me with y'all. Right. And uh he was Great there track. that day. And uh it made me feel good, like you're talking about to get his stamp of approval mm-hmm. because uh He had a high standard. He yeah. really did. And that's up. that's good to have, you know. That's that's really good to have. How did you and him uh how'd y'all meet up? Like what what was y'all like? how did he get in the band and all that? That within itself is a funny the funniest story ever. Um and I didn't just get Dakota out of the deal. Um, there's this band that we played with back when Good Time Charlie's in Tupelo was a regular venue. And uh, I think they only had four songs, but they needed some bands to, uh, to... I didn't know them. I didn't know them at all. Somebody else put this bill together, but we were on it. Uh, and, and you guys were too, actually, because uh, Judd was Dude, there. Dude, I remember... They, they were in that band that had that badass uh, female singer... Yes, yes. I got uh, one of their bracelets. Right. She, she, uh, had what was the name screen. of that band? It was, uh, Karma on Attack. Karma on Attack. Yes. That's right. I had forgotten all about that. And I'll tell you what show it was. Uh, it was a, a, benef- a memorial benefit show for the lead singer from, uh, yes, you're Red, right. Uh, that is what show it was. Red, uh, uh Joan Red. Joan Red. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony Barsado. Yes. Um, and we yeah. all we all got together at Good. There was a bunch of bands got together at at Good Time Charlie's, and uh, 
There was this I one moment. I did a memorial and, show for him, and that's where I met yeah. them. Yeah, I remember that now. There was this one section in their show where it was, um, it was so comical because they knew they had messed up, but they just went with it, and they started laughing at themselves, and then they stopped, and they started making jokes about themselves. Yeah, and to the point where I was standing beside Jut, and Jut was just like rolling. He goes, "Oh my God, these guys are! I love these guys. They're so funny." And uh, well, that's where I met the band, uh, Karma on Attack. Well, after I got to know them, they called me a couple weeks later because they heard I recorded some bands at home, right? And they asked if I record them. They got a couple originals, and I was like, "Sure, came up, come over." And in um, those sessions. Um, that uh we recorded that's where i met dakota and uh right away uh uh not not that he knew his part so well and he even uh, went out of his way to 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 show the other members how to get their parts down as well and um um i knew right away i was like this guy can really play you know and uh coincidentally I lost my bass player, um, probably within the same couple week window there, and uh, so I didn't have anybody playing bass. Um, I think maybe Dusty or Germ was filling in the position short, you know, yeah. or something to that effect. And uh, and then um, I get a call after I recorded these guys, and I wasn't finished with their session, but um, and it was Aaron. Uh, and he's like, oh, Dakota quit. I was like, Dakota quit? Then he proceeded to tell me all the reasons Dakota quit. So I was just like, I heard him out, and I was like, so you're telling me that um, Dakota's done. He's not coming back. No, 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 he's gone. He's not coming back. He quit. And now I just proceeded further. I was like, now, you, y'all all good friends. There's no way that y'all can, like, you know, let a couple weeks pass, and then, you yeah. know, you know you know, yeah, so how long is a coast player before I can snatch you up? Basically, <laughs> well, it wasn't until the phone that same phone call service. He's like, "No, it's done. It's it's never happening again." And then I was like, "Well, would you happen to have Dakota's phone number?" <laughs> 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 and uh, so, um, but um, uh, I called Dakota up that same evening, and we spoke for several hours that evening over the phone, and and um, he right away wanted to be a part of what we were doing in, in the Seeking 7 camp, and the rest is really history. It was probably about three to five years later, maybe closer to the five-year mark. Um, we were riding on a real late road trip, and um, um, Dakota was speaking back to the first time he saw us play, and he did tell me this. He goes, like a premonition or something. He said, I went home that evening, and I told my parents, he goes, I think I found the band that I'm going to join. And uh, and that always made me feel like it was just right. Yeah. Not because the chemistry was there, because it certainly was. Um, and he's such a dynamic bass player that gave a signature sound to what the what I call is the deafening sound of our Tekken Seven sound. You know, is Dakota is. You know, even Shane, who plays with us now, just designed his rig around what Dakota was doing. Yeah, and uh, that that just tells you. I mean, a guy's greatest shame is to to look up to Dakota in that respect to say, "Hey, I'm going to buy gear that you're using, so I can sound like you and I, you know, fill in your shoes." And 
Get any um, idea what year that was? Because we were still playing shows to s- support the verdict. Right. That um, was 2010. And I would say playing shows, not touring, but we, we were playing regularly. In fact, uh, I mean, I, we played in Memphis the night before. We had a gig that Friday and that Saturday. The gig in Memphis was Saturday. And when we left the gig, the alternator went out on the van. And we stayed, we were up till God, really late. And uh, we were in Memphis, and that's. Uh, we're in Memphis, and that's where Joe's family's from. Mm-hmm. And luckily, he had a family member. The, ba- the van needed a new alternator. And we finally went to bed at like daylight. And while we were sleeping, his cousin put on the new alternator for the van and we got up from sleeping and drove straight to good tom charlie's and did that show, that, show. that you're talking about because they had the only day they could get the venue and get everybody together was on a sunday i remember it was 2010 when i met dakota and it was um almost exactly a year to the date that we started because i started seeking seven in 09 um and it was almost a year to the date that Dakota joined joined up with us. Wow. Um, that seems like yesterday and a million years ago at the does. same time somehow. Um, Hard to believe. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I watched Dakota grow. Well, I mean, uh, kind of literally because yeah. like him and Jake, I mean, they're all like way younger than us. Way younger, yeah. I, you know, what's funny is um, the year 09 when Jake joined the band, I went to his high school graduation. And I had just met him, but, you know, he was in the band by that point. Uh, and in the summer that Dakota joined the band was the summer he graduated high school. So I literally known um, Dakota, Pat, and Aaron literally since they graduated high school, and Jake, too, you know. So, um, oh, yeah, Aaron, he's another little young. Yeah. That what Dakota, Aaron, and and Pat—they're all the same age, and and they're all high school buddies. That's the reason that eventually, or ultimately, you know, I realized this one thing is like when I invited Dakota over, my prediction of what I was asking Aaron about, I was like, uh, I didn't just get Dakota. Dakota came with the package because everybody loved him so much, and uh, so next thing you know, Aaron's in my band, and next thing you know, Pat's in the band, and that's just because they were all so close to Dakota. Uh, they grew up together in high school together, and and I was glad that they were part of what we were doing because again, um, every every one of those guys are very key to what we you know have developed into since uh, since we started. You know, every band you know goes through a phase where they they're trying to find their own sound. You know, and we're definitely no exception to that. And you see me struggling over here with my beverage. <laughs> I wouldn't have jumped up and got my beer in the middle of a podcast, but I, I remembered I left it in the freezer. I was like, I better get it before it freezes, and uh, I didn't get it. Not quite. I've got done. an eruption happening over here. <laughs> but yeah, in hindsight, that's a good idea, man. You just get a bunch of young people in your band, and you can kind of like raise them up in the way you want them to be. <laughs> in theory. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, life happens. You know, I was, I was the type of person that I, um, I guess I tell this story all the time that I went out and grabbed a career 
then I came home. Then I started to work on music. Right. Um, and these guys jumped on the ship right when they were done with high school. So, you know, four or five years later when this band thing ain't really making any money for them and parents are encouraging them to move on with their life and get a job and things, life happens. And then you lose those guys, you know, um, because um, I was able to stick around only because I'd already established my career. Right. You, you know, you have to have a career. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's not really necessarily just a backup plan. It's you got to have your plan A yeah. in, in a full effect so that plan B is even a possibility. Because, well, I would as say, you know, this, I this would stuff go ain't further. cheap. <laughs> so yeah. you got to have a good career. I would go further to say that don't ever even count on plan B being a thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, if it does, it does, but don't count on it. You know, prepare yourself now to not put all your eggs in one basket because that's setting yourself up to fail, you know, and, um, and then you'll, you'll hate yourself for it later on in life when you're like, well, I just failed at it when you really didn't. You know, but then again, I look at my career and I thought, would I be further along if I started first and didn't, you know, do college and do military, you know, if I started right after high school and I mean, would I be further along? Probably and, not. Probably unless, not. Unless you but, had great connections. Cause I mean, think about, um, what was that big producer y'all wouldn't recorded with Travis? Travis Wyrick. Yeah. Y'all couldn't have done that if you didn't have a job, a well-established no. career. I mean, uh, you couldn't have. Even, I mean, a PA system, you know, a good, decent equipment to play with, like having a van to transport everybody around in a trailer and a new tire, because it seems like every time you want to go do a gig, a tire is going to blow out. I don't know what that is, by the way. A lot of tires hate gigs. Uh, probably because <laughs> we do so many of them with no money. Yeah, know? with no money. We and don't we take make tires. no money. And yeah. that's the thing, too, is like when you, when you drive four hours for a gig and they give you $30. If that, that's a good night. If they give you $30 at night, I mean, you can't take that $30 realistically and go buy $2,000 worth of PA equipment. You know, it don't work that way. Nope. And so the PA equipment comes out of your day job. You know, oh, yeah. that's, that's really that where tire it, came out of your day job. Exactly. You know, and when you don't have a day job, because you banking on a career in music that doesn't exist, and it's really hard to, uh, you know, invest in your yourself, and that's just the realities of it. But not to not to stray away from honoring Dakota. Dakota was really the heart and soul of, of what we did, and and what we started, and um, and it was always the plan that we continued. Eventually, you know, hopefully. No guarantee, um, you know, and the reason that Dakota stepped down from the band in the first place was because of those reasons, life, you know, I got to get a job now and I got to, you know, I might even get married and I might do this and I might do that. And, and, um, and it hurt his heart to do it, you know, and, but he did it with the intentions of letting himself go get established somewhere and then coming back to it. That was always the plan. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, when, when COVID was first mentioning and they were talking about the anticipated death, I never in a million years could have dreamt that it would hit this close to home the way it did. I know, man. Uh, it's almost like 
because I and I'm I'm kind of reluctant to, to even talk about COVID because it's so so polarizing and and people have different opinions about different things and and I'm you know that this has you know my views about COVID have nothing to do with political anything, uh, but because I've had I mean I've got a lot of friends that have had it and uh, even though it's like so real and it's all you're hearing about in the news and I've got friends that have had it and. I've uh, had to be quarantined because I've been in contact a couple of times and, and I had a couple of scares thinking I might've gotten it because like, you know, I, I threw a birthday party for a close friend and like me and him were like sharing a bottle and hugging on each other. And then the next Sunday I found out he had COVID and et cetera, et cetera. But still it, it never really felt real right. to me until a, a close friend actually passed away from it. Then I was like, Whoa, yeah, this shit is real. Like it, it re- like it just blew my mind. Like, and it, it happened so fast. I mean, really, it fast. seemed like, and you were in contact with him the whole time. I just saw through like social media and stuff, but it, it, it was basically like he got sick and then went to the hospital. And then within what a day two, it's like, um, yeah, within the week, it was like, wow. By the end of the week, you know, and, uh, it wasn't just him. I mean, a lot of people. And his his mother as well. His mother she, passed, she passed away passed and, a few yeah. days later. And that's just, you know, that's where, I mean, every every single element about this whole situation has broke my heart. But, you know, um, such a sweet, 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 sweet family that were just good, 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 good people. And it just. You can't help but to ponder the question, why does this happen to the good one? Why does this happen to good people? I mean, we're not supposed to ask the questions why, I don't think, but, you know, you can't help it sometimes, you know. That's what, I hurt so much for this family because within a week, within two weeks, they lost a brother and a mom, and and you're just, they're just standing there in, in the aftermath of it, just looking at each other, not really believing what's happening and uh and because covid is involved and they're quarantined and uh it ain't like the old days when someone passes where you can just go bring food to their house and right you know and hang out and and comfort you know one another yourself and them included and um the fact that people are in isolation and you can't go visit you feel so helpless I know. And you feel a little bit lost, like, you know. Uh, like, like, I want to do something, but I'm not allowed. Yeah. Or supposed to. Like, I don't know, what, you know, what the deal is. It's, right. it's um Before, uh, well, before we uh, we start, start talking about doing this this afternoon, I'd, I'd pose the question, like, I, I wanted to definitely showcase some of Dakota's music. And I was like, of course, you know, there's pick any seeking seven song that he shines on but I, I i wanted you to pick at least two or three i call them D- dakota centric songs right. whether it be a song that he really shines on or a song that he really enjoyed playing or that he was particularly proud of i know yeah. you would know exactly which ones to pick why don't we uh why don't we throw a song in real quick because i i want to get in it you know at least two or three throughout the, this episode because it's all about you know it's right all about Selma Bainer's life, and and music meant so much to him. Let's and he was so good at it. And um, I picked uh, three, and um, 
there's a reason I specifically picked these three. I could I could pick them all to be honest because they were all Dakota centric. But um, uh, the first song that we started tracking in the studio uh, in Knoxville with Travis was "Demons in Disguise." His bass is so strong and prevalent. Uh, it really made this record. And the funny thing is that um, you know, I think we're a bunch of green noobs going into this very professional studio with a guy with Grammys and doves on his shelves and we all got yelled at from i call it rock and roll boot camp you know yeah i remember you saying that we all got yelled at jake got yelled at i got yelled at germ got yelled at everybody got yelled at but when dakota got his turn to sit down on the base you could tell that travis was just having an absolute blast tracking dakota that's how good he was he was the only we said this for years he was the only one that travis didn't yell at you know (laughs) and uh so uh Here's uh here's demons in disguise. Awesome.
hey, we got to go ahead and go ahead and do it. I'm oh, a, yeah. uh, I'm just Irish enough to for it to be a good excuse, a good reason to do a toast. And if anybody was worthy of a toast, yes, to our brother Dakota. Dakota. I hope the uh, the microphones picked up the, the clinking of the shot glass. We just did a a small shot of Bushmills. Bushmills. That's my first shot of that. <laughs> You're time. handling it well. <laughs> yeah. Have you read Jameson? Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, I mean it's to me. Yeah, I, I go back and forth between Jameson and Bushmills. When it comes to Irish whiskey, that's my my top two. But uh, Alicia likes. Jameson a lot better, but I think I like Bushmills a little better, but I, I like both. But yeah, that was uh, a little otters. Alright, so that was Demons, Demons. in Disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, I get my timelines mixed up. Was that... That was uh, the first thing... Um, well, because um, the infamous green album which i hopefully removed from all you know outside these walls yeah that 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 album he wasn't on that album he right it came along right after um what year was that that was 2010 y'all recorded that at a sixth avenue recording studio yeah, in, in amory. amory yes sure is that did. still i doubt that's still there the sign's still there <laughs> and <laughs> well, the, there the you building. Go. So i don't know if they still uh operate uh out of there but uh so the first time Dakota recorded with us was uh, five songs on the surface. And uh, we did a, a ton of rehearsal before those sessions. We really wanted to go into the studio knowing our part. And, uh, and the Demons was a very bass-driven song. Right. And um, I didn't want to lose that element. And uh, so I remember having it in my mind to tell our producer uh and dakota i was like i really want a big bass tone for this if y'all can pull that off when they get ready to track bass but then i walked in while they were already beginning tracking and it was so huge without me saying a word i never even had to say it nice because um, uh they had toned dakota in and and uh and it was huge it sounded perfect and i think uh uh Demons did a, uh, it was a perfect example. So it's nice when everybody's like just automatically on the same page yeah. without even having, it, it was having so to funny. synchronize. Anyone knew Dakota knew that if he thought something was funny, that he, he wouldn't let it die. Yeah. And, you know, it could be three years of road trips later that we're going to be on the road and he's going to bring that something up. And laugh that's a good, about it. That's a good segue. While the song was playing, you and I were talking about like funny. I want you to share a a funny Dakota story with us because you know it's 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 hard not to it's hard not to be sad, you know. But but when you think back at the memories, they weren't they were anything no. but sad. I mean, in fact, that's all I remember is just laughing all the time. <laughs> When Dakota was around. When Dakota and, was around, even the sad stuff was funny. That is yes. so true of a statement. Yeah. Um, so get go share with us uh, a good, funny Dakota story. Um, I know you got a bunch. <laughs> too many to even. Uh, I could go all night actually, but um, 
one I like to tell, which the to tell the story is not nearly as funny as as you being there. But um, we played a show in Jackson, Tennessee once, and um, uh, two weeks before this gig, and I didn't want to cancel it because it, we were new to this venue, and I wanted to make a good impression and wanted to have future bookings there. But two weeks before this gig, Jake called, and, and he was in a car accident. Luckily, he was okay, minus his collarbone. He had literally broken his collarbone, so he needed to be about four to six weeks without playing drums. Right. So um, we canceled everything but this one gig, um, and we had uh, Derek Gerard Boggan to fill in for us, and he did such a fantastic job filling in. He's a good Especially drummer. on the spot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he got very little rehearsal time with us, but he he just fit in right away. Um, um, I was at that gig. I think we opened up for y'all. If I I'm think not mistaken. so. It, it, it was something to that effect. You know? I think if I'm if remember because we played the uh, the Fertile Turtles several times. I think we were introducing y'all to, to the, the venue. Place, yeah, to the I, venue. I believe you're right. I think we were kind of passing the torch because y'all have done it so many times for us. And I was like, hey man, y'all need to come play this place. I believe and, you're right. Uh, this is exactly uh, what what went down. Because I I was there because it was funny because Jake was on the front row <laughs> with one arm, kind of coaching. Because <laughs> Derek had did he rehearse at all? Like maybe one he, time, one rehearsal. But he did so great in rehearsal. But then when Jake was there, because Jake wasn't at the rehearsal we had with Derek. Yeah. But when Jake was at the venue, um, uh, Derek was so pressured. I think to plan it the way jake did right right and then jake was just you know doing jake and giving him cues and things like that and uh and it made it made Derek second guess himself a little bit but it is, he still flawlessly pulled off the gig oh it sounded it good was, you wouldn't have thought it, yeah it you wouldn't was, have thought he had one rehearsal that's it for was sure. funny to see jake coaching him from the sidelines though but uh there was one part of the show that i, I really felt no one was really paying us any attention. There wasn't a big crowd, but it was enough. Give them the setup. Yeah, the the, the bar way it's laid out is in front of the stage, and so people's back was turned to the stage. The people at the bar have their like the right. only person facing you would be like the bartender. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And there was tables in between the bar and the stage, but there really wasn't many people occupying the tables. It was just everybody at the bar, and uh, so. I think this a lot because I live in my head a lot, but I thought I could say anything right now and no one would know what I say or care. They'll just probably agree with me if anything at all. So I, I cut a really bad dad joke from the stage and, uh, and embarrassed Dakota a little bit. And he was, he, I remember him doing that <clears throat> and <laughs> bowing his head and turning away. So people wouldn't Bad see it. Like, oh yeah. He was like, that was horrible. And I think, I think the joke I gave was, I was like, we want to thank Derek for coming out and playing drums for us. Um, um, it was short notice, and you know, last week uh, our drummer was tragically killed in a car accident. And then when I said that, people from the bar turned and were like, "Oh no!" <laughs> As if think, we would have played the game. I didn't think that, I didn't think that they were even <laughs> listening, and it's uh, it was bad. It was so bad. Then I said, "Oh no, I'm just kidding." Jake's right here. He's our drummer. He's right there. Uh, and Jake just smiles and waves, and people are like, and they're just like, "Oh!" And then they turn around back to their drinks to the bar, and then it was done. But that that was something that Dakota was just like shaking his head. Anyway, the story is like I was saying earlier how Dakota, if you knew him, 
he would never let anything die. That whole road trip home, that's all he talked about. And we dropped the guys off in Fulton, and we were headed on that stretch to Amory. And uh, we laughed so hard that we didn't even speak words. We just <laughs> laughed so hard that I was I remember hurting for days after that, like physical pain for laughing so hard. And uh and that's the way Dakota was. I'm like you even take a moment that that's bad and he will turn it into the funniest thing. Yeah, because sometimes those awkward moments like that when you real like when you realize the people were listening. <laughs> yeah. And then you sound like a you know, an a-hole. <laughs> that those awkward moments yeah. in hindsight are funnier than is if you said something that killed. You know, he he loved to prank people. One time we were uh, on a long road trip, and it was daylight pulling into Amory. I mean, the sun was up. Sun was up high. I think it was like seven a.m. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's how late in the morning those. it was. You know, <laughs> we had been driving all night long. Everybody that was in the car with us was passed out. We've even made me and, except for me and Dakota. Um, we even made an announcement: Hey, we're going to pull into McDonald's. We're going to get some, a breakfast biscuit. Nobody said a word. Nobody, I was like, they're all asleep, dude. I was like, we're almost home. Let's just stop and get us a biscuit. So we did. Of course, me and Dakota got our got us a biscuit from McDonald's, and then we pull away, and then we heard somebody rumbling around back there, and it was Jake, and we said, hey, Jake, we got you a biscuit. <laughs> and he, he, uh, he rose out of his slumber just half awake, and he was like, oh, you did? And it goes like, nah, we just kidding. <laughs> You get you nothing, <laughs> and he started like he was like, "What well, you guys suck?" And, and the thing is, is uh, Dakota never let that moment die. Right, like, we relived that morning, you know, on every road trip after that. Would have been even uh, funnier if you and Dakota were actually eating biscuits. Oh, we were. Oh. We were eating. <laughs> we were. We were eating. Is like we we're rattling the bag around like we had one for, and him. you had the smell in there, like yes, delicious buttery biscuits. Yes. Smell. And he was so hungry, too. He's like, oh, I was so hungry. I remember, uh, it, you know, I remember, it like, uh, he was so upset that um, we, uh, Dakota, just, like, picked on him forever about that. And uh, But in a good way. That's why I said Dakota loved pranks. He loved, you know, making people laugh. Um, and, uh, and, and he loved playing music, man. He loved every bit of it he loved you know i think there's so many pictures the pictures i put if you go on the speaking seven facebook page the picture that i said it's a profile that's a perfect example of because that was my view from sage every night right i looked over to my right and there's dakota and he had his eyes closed and he singed just with all of his heart and um and that was just uh, you know that's what i remember and that's what i want to remember forever absolutely and that i mean that's when i look to my right that's what i'm going to see forever. you mentioned singing that was another thing about dakota and what he brought to seeking seven was not only was he a badass bass player but his harmonies were spot on so much so that i remember it like i said before i i sang pitiful me guys on your album and not pitiful me yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's pitiful it me, yep. um and when I went to, uh, I like to like just surprise you sometimes at shows. Like you don't even Those know I'm going to be there. Yeah. And I showed up at Double D's one night in Steens. Yeah. That? yeah. 
And um, I remember because like, I just showed up. I, I wasn't planning on coming. It just lined up to where I could. I was like, hey, let's go to that Second Seven show. Because I, I was wearing like a camouflage pullover. Yeah. Like I looked like I just got out of the deer stand. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look like a, a rock and roller by any means. And uh, y'all did Pitiful Me. And uh, you got me to come up on stage to sing it with you. And of course, I had to use Dakota's mic because that's the only two mics you had on stage. And I loved his part so much because I did the screaming parts and then he did the harmonies. Right. And of course, I didn't even know how to know the harmonies. And uh, I liked his part so much that like when it was his turn, I would hold the mic for him <laughs> while he yeah. sang it. Like I was his mic stand. And what was cool is I had no idea that a picture was taken that night of that performance. And I can't remember who it was posted it. I think it was Dale. Dale Jones. Uh, Hitman. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it was him that, that shot. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, I was I was scrolling through the news feed a, after he passed, and I saw that picture. And, you know, of course, you see just me, you, and Dakota standing there. And I was like, wow, I'm so glad, you know, somebody caught a picture of that. Because that yeah. was a cool night, man. That was that It was. was. Fun. I mean, every night with Dakota was cool, and every night with you there. Um, you know, speaking of harmonies, I, I was working on a demo. Um, I wrote it on one of my long weekends. I think it was, well, I know it was. It was Memorial Day weekend when I was working on this one. And, um, you know, I, I hash out ideas all the time. And uh, 80% of them are throwaways, you know. And I was pretty sure that this idea was going to be in that 80% stack of throwaways, you know. But at least it's ideas, and it's a chance for me to exercise that muscle. Anyway, uh, no idea, you know, in my mind was ever complete without me showing it to Dakota because he had a strong sense of approval. If you got Dakota's approval, you thought, well, shoot, maybe there is something to this, you know? Anyway, um, um, there was this line, I said, wonderful pain, and I sang that line, and without even thinking about it, Dakota hit like a third higher harmony, and it gelled so well. That I'm like, wait a minute, do that again. And we went over those harmonies. And the reason that Wonderful Pain got recorded at all, and it left that batch of 80% of the throwaways to that, you know, 80% of the, yeah. is because of what Dakota added to it, his harmony. It made me like the song, his harmony. And that's because I was just writing, and I never knew that would be. We ended up making that a single. That's the song I want to like would play next, because if it wasn't for Dakota, this out this song probably wouldn't have made it past the demo stage, and uh, and that really made me love having him around. Not because he was a staple in our sound as far as bass playing goes, but he added that dimension of harmony so well. Where did um, he learn to sing so well and to play bass? Because again, no he was so young. You know, there's some. And he had only been in, as far as I know, that one band that I'd forgotten about, Karma on Attack. Well, you know, uh, that's what I noticed in Karma. Did he go up singing in church? Or? He did, actually. You know, and he would tell us all the time. He goes, You guys don't notice, but I go to these churches. And he said, He didn't, he wasn't at least a little bit ashamed about it, which he had no reason to be. But he's like, Man, I go to these black churches all over the place because they play the funkiest bass of anybody you ever hear. And that's where I learned. And he did. Uh, he would literally go to around different ones, not the same ones. He would jump from black church to black church on Sundays. Uh, 
to to have an opportunity to play with really really funky bass awesome. and uh that's a little no, unknown fact about dakota i didn't know that yeah um and he wasn't ashamed to tell that, anybody uh, that I, either i played in a church band on bass for three years and man you got to come correct on the bass lines with some jesus music oh man yeah i mean it's centered like sometimes it. the the rhythm guitar is kind of especially in like praise and worship music it's just kind of you know the basics. Yeah. You know if you know your basic chords and power chords, you can probably make it through. But you gotta you gotta make it walk, and make it talk exactly. on the bass a little bit. Well, if you ever sit down and watch the documentary on the birth of funk music, it started in a church. You know uh, that style of slap bass, pop, boom pop. Mm-hmm. That that started that literally started in churches, but way before it hit, you know, dance halls and radio. You know, it was. Funk bass started in church, and uh, um, Dakota liked having a great sense of time. Um, and that was another, and that's something that most people don't even notice, like the quality of a musician. And producers know it because they struggle with teaching musicians to play in time. But yeah. then you got these musicians who can play in time. They're like, okay, cool. I don't have to work on that. But then there's these certain other musicians that are so good with time that can do what I call flirt with time. Yeah. Like yeah. they know it so well they can be off and it'll be perfect. And it'll still be on. Yes. They can kind of walk on the curb but still be exactly have that the right syncopation to where it But you have to have a great sense of timing to get to there. It's like Oh yeah. And, and you can get away with it on bass. So you can kind of flirt with, with the timing. To answer your question, where do you learn it? I always tapped it out as being naturally gifted you know and that's exactly what dakota was he was not he had it in his blood and in his heart and his spirit um and it was he was gifted at it he had the thing you know um and i mean he he sorely missed and um and I do honor, uh, I, I honor most of all of, of being the guy in the band that he chose to dedicate his time to because he was so good. He could have been anywhere with any band, you know, anywhere. And I mean, on a perfect, yeah, on a professional circuit. And the fact that he invested in us and, and I got to share his life with him um you know i'll never forget that uh, um i'll keep him close to my heart forever and how lucky we were not just to know him but to have these songs that we can listen to forever yeah uh speaking of which that's a good segue set up the next tune for us yeah this is play. wonderful pain the one that i oh, kept nice. i kept because of him there you go here it is Everything you say 
You know, it wonderful pain. Like I said earlier, is uh, it's a tune that wouldn't have made a list without him. I mean, Dakota made that song a keeper for me, and uh, and he's so he's on the record. I mean, those harmonies are are awesome. And okay, break I, break down for the for the listeners. Like I know all of them, but like you, uh, you from the the first album he was on, and purpose. then the last one would have been uh, what if you remain volume one, right? Right. Right. So right. it was the surface, chaos before chaos the, for the fall, fall and, and volume one. one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you know, also, um, we'll see what time does for us. But um, we recorded a whole different vault too. Yeah, I remember you telling me that I put away because when vault when during COVID, I sat down and wrote a new batch of songs. Yeah, and. Uh, I felt those were vault too. And but when we had the vault one sessions, we actually recorded the entire album. We demoed twenty seven songs, recorded sixteen, wow, and kept twelve. So there's six other songs 
that me and Dakota wrote together that are unreleased. Does he play? Uh, you got his tracks recorded on any of them? Oh yeah, all of them. Yeah. All of them. Yeah, wow. we, we were finished. We That's finished some, some all, gems. We finished all twelve of them. Uh, um, yeah, that that we. What is that? Do I hear volume three going to come out? Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, quite possibly. I mean, there's sometimes reasons these didn't make it, but I remember though. There's a few of these that, uh, both the. Dakota and Amber were upset that didn't make the record. And I was like, well, you know, songs have a funny way of showing and popping up in later albums. You yeah. Know? In different, different stages. And, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they're not dead. They're just not making this effort. That's because we wrote so many though. We wrote, like I said, we, during the vol one sessions, they're really the what few remain session. And, uh, we, I, I had 27 demos. He had a few, 10, 27 all together. And we took 16 of those, or 17, because we did one cover song, 17 of those, and um, recorded those. Um, and then we started narrowing it down, and we had to pick 12. And of those 12, we picked the first six to be volume one and the whole idea was let's give it some time in between then we're going to release a vol two but then that's when covid kind of happened and dakota stepped away and when i wrote the songs that ended up being on vol two uh i just thought they because they were fresh you yeah. know and i thought they were uh they they fit the mood i was in and and the message that was in what few remain it's just cool that you have those gems there readily yeah, available. They are there. Even if you just release it as like some kind of tribute or something like that. I mean, you've got it's them possible. To, to, um, do, to do something with. Let me ask you a question. What was Dakota's favorite? And I think I know that the answer to this, but let me see if, if what I think it is matches, uh, matches your answer. What was his favorite cover song to play live? Um, God. I was going to say probably the Coheed and Cambria song. He oh, seemed to really like get down one. on that one. He he threw down on. Actually, I think it was um, it was Wasteland by Ten Years. That's why we played oh. it so much. And the good harmonies on his part. Because good harmonies. Well, when we were in Knoxville, uh, recording the Surface record, um, it was actually Dakota. I, I I'll be a little embarrassed to tell the story for my own right, but I, it's true. So, I want here it goes. Um, we were in the studio and these two dudes walked in and they were there to see Travis, but we met them all, shook their hands. It was at the end of our session. You know, we were pretty much, we were almost done for the whole day. So we were just at the point at the, it was about nine thirty at night and we were hanging out. Um, Dakota pulled me to the side and he whispered in my ear, he goes, those are the guys from 10 years. I was like, no way. He goes, no, I'll prove it to you. Those are the guy. And uh, I was like, okay, all right. And then it, it, sure enough, it, it was. It was it was Brian and, and uh, Jesse, I believe, from 10 years. Mm. And they listened to our demos, uh, that, or our demos, or what we were recording there uh, with Travis. And uh, they had big smiles on their faces, pat, pat her on the back. We had a good time. Well, they were, I found this out later, they were in the process of recording 
the record called Minus the Machine, and they were doing that all on their own. Good album title. Yeah, and uh, oh, yeah, it was great, and a great record too. What's so awesome about this record? They had the uh, this is the first time they had the courage to to do the record all by themselves. They literally recorded it at home, then but they were bringing some rough mixes to Travis for advice. Mm. That's why they were there that evening. A quick side story: I mm-hmm. saw them on tour when they were touring that album. They were opening for Breaking Benjamin, and Barry Poole bought me tickets for my birthday. Oh, and they opened up, and I thought it was hilarious because the singer dressed up as Boss Hog <laughs> with the white, yeah. like, tux and cowboy hat on. No kidding. I thought that was That's neat. Great. That is neat. <laughs> well, you know, um, uh, what's funny story about that is that after that session, um, uh, we went back to the hotel room and Dakota promised me that he'll prove it to me that that was the guys from 10 years. So he pulled up the wasteland video and this is why it's embarrassing. This is uh 2012 ish. Um, that was the very first time that I ever heard Wasteland, and and I watched the video, and and I was just like, I had the same feeling. And close your ears, Mark, because it might. Uh, I had the same feeling I had with the first time I heard Infect. Uh, lyric, sound, music. I thought that's something I write. That's something. That's why well, say close your ears? That's a compliment. That's how I write. I really felt that. You know that's. I mean, it, it it just came to them first because I would eventually have written, you know, a song just like that. I felt that way about um, uh, the Ten Years song, um, and that was the first time I heard it. And sure enough, those guys were. I was like, yeah, that is the guy that we hung out with tonight, and that was really awesome. Um, so we came back home from those sessions, and I just was like dying to cover Wasteland. And Dakota was like, we were riding down the road. I was like, well, Dakota, can you, stupid question. We were new. I was like, Dakota, can you do those harmonies on it? Because I don't want to do that 10-year song without those harmonies there. He's like, cha. And then he's like, well, let's try it. And we literally in the car on a road trip. Yeah, acapelloing, practicing the harmonies to it. And it gave me the confidence to come home and, and, and bash that tune out. And that became a staple in our set list for a really, really long time. His favorite cover song was definitely, I mean, he had so many, but, you know, uh, it, that was definitely the favorite cover song that we covered. Now, he wanted us to play uh, some um, Nothing More covers. He wanted to push us to there. Mm. Um, that that vocalist is so good, I was always scared I couldn't pull off the vocals. Um, but that yeah, was really Shane and Sean me. start rattling off songs they want to do. I'm like, hey, excuse me, <laughs> I got to sing them. Exactly. <laughs> That's not terrifying at all. No. This is a new TV and it like talk when it wants something. Wow. It's like, Mark, bring me something. Bring. <laughs> <laughs> I like TV. Um, Got some AI shit going on with it. I think, um, you know, we, both him and I, we were so close in the making of What Few Remain. That's, I mean, we were close always, but. That summer that we wrote the that album, we it was mainly me and him because Jake was real busy. We only got Jake some of the time, and you know yourself. Once you lay drums down, then that's when the creative process begins. Yeah, you know. So Jake does his part early on, then the rest was up to me and Dakota to, to hash out the rest. 
And uh, I remember I came up with this demo. Uh, it had a weird name. I can't even remember the name. It was, it was a funny working title. But um, Dakota immediately heard the bass line, and he asked me, did you play that? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I played it. He goes, dude, that's amazing. He complimented me on the bass. <laughs> I was like, no, it's simple. It's just this. He goes, no, dude, that has a groove to it, you know? And uh, so he goes, well, really pl- talented musicians, especially yeah. bass players, recognize that sometimes less is more. Exactly. So he took that dumb demo because he loved the bass groove so much that I just scratched in there uh, as an example. He goes, let me do it. And when he did it, the song woke up and, and it became our lead single, which was Crucified. Nice. And um, I would not have, I, it was a no brainer when we asked ourselves, like, what video are we going to shoot? It was like Crucified, without a doubt. And, uh, and it was so great because we spent so much time together in those sessions hammering out ideas. I remember I'll write something like as a pre-chorus or, or I had this other course laid out and we had worked on it for like days and days and days. And then I would like take it on my drives, my long drives to work every day. And I would come up with something completely different. And then I'll have to bring him back over. I was like, you know, all that work we did last week, <laughs> I yeah. came up with this and then we'll rework it. And we really squeezed out everything we could. And what's so amazing, and this is the story I want to tell about Dakota, is um, we were um, working on those sessions. And we're talking about the way that you record these days. Most big studios even record this way this these days. But, and uh, it's, it's no secret now. It used to be a big secret. But um, you take your drums and you replace them. Yeah. You, you take your drums and you put them on a grid that's on perfect time. Um, you make the kick, you stack snares, you know, you, you do all this dressing up in the studio to get it to really pop on a record. Um, and, uh, and then you punch in and out these things. You use, uh, auto tune and, and all kinds of junk, you know, and a lot of these people in these new records, they'll deny they did it, but that's how they're made, you know? And we literally, after we demoed all these songs, we were, I was, I remember I was grilling out one night because we just got done with the writing session. What were you grilling? I was grilling steak. Yeah. Dude. You know, that's the way I go. You know, ribeyes are $13 a now. I know. Depressing. Anyway, go ahead. Um, <laughs> no. You mentioned food. I'm a fat like, boy. I, re- I remember, you know, us hashing out how we're going to record this album. Talking about what fee remain. And this is when it was a full album before we broke it up into two EPs. Um, I, I said, Dakota, I got a harebrained idea. And he's like, I was like, just hear me out. He's like, all right. I was like, what if we did use all those studio tricks? What if we treated every mic like that's what goes on the record? What if we didn't punch in and punch out? What if we took every section of the song and treat it, even though that I don't have the ability to record on two-inch tape, pretend that we're recording on tape? Each take is a complete performance? Yes. No fixies. I mean, we used 
EQ and compression, and that's it. We uh, treated every tape, no punch ins, no the punch old meat outs. We used zero auto tune. We doubled no drum. We didn't fix anything. We either played it right or we threw the whole track away and started over. Um, because that's the way they do it in, in analog studios. Even Back though the I day, didn't they have the analog. They don't want to waste tape. And he goes, well, if we do that, our instruments have to sound good. And I was like, you're right. So I bought a brand new drum kit and we tuned it up perfectly. I bought all these brand new mics uh, and we took a chance to do what no other band is doing. And it may sound like it's in a garage, but I want to tell you that one of my most proud things about What Few Remain, Volume 1, is that it's as close to analog that any band can get. And me and Dakota made that decision consciously because we we didn't want a dressed up, polished album. We right. even we even to the point after we finished tracking it, we sent it to a really, really, really good um, mixing guy, and immediately he stripped the drums down and started replacing it with fake stuff. And we stopped him right there and said, "No, no, no, no. We want you to take what we actually recorded and." And that's it. And it turned out to be that I ended up having to mix the record myself only because this new way of recording has got nobody wanting to go back the old way. And uh, um, I'm real proud about that fact. I mean, it, it may not sound as polished as most records. I think it sounds great. And I, and I definitely, we talked about this before. I, I want to kind of send us home with that track. Um, but before we do, the one last thing I wanted to add, and it's a little premature for me to say this, and if, if it's too premature, feel free to edit this out, But because we don't know how it's going to happen because of the COVID. We don't know in what form or when it's going to take place, but I think it's, it's safe to say there's definitely some talks of doing a memorial tribute concert. Yes, it's in the... It's in the talk. Even though it's really early on, is is it okay for me to at least put yeah. it out there that it's going to happen? Like uh, eventually. that, that, that I think that's one definite thing. There's so the, many. The, there's so many up in the air details because of the we're in the middle of a damn pandemic. We really want this. Pandemic we don't know to go away. how to do it exactly or which way it's going to be done. But but there's a lot of interest in it, and a lot of bands have. We want everyone to that knew and loved and interacted with Dakota in any form to be a part of this. But we don't want to do that at the expense that they fear for their own health and safety concerns. Right. So I don't want to do a benefit that involves a lot of people right now. Um, at which we are going to do one at some point, uh, a memorial service benefit. And, um, uh, but we want to do it when everybody feels safe doing it. Right. And, um, and also, uh, we're going to do a couple live um, performances that are virtual as well. And we are going to try to raise money. And, and this is uh, a cause that is very close to Dakota's heart, which is um, uh, we're going to um, put all the money to Down Syndrome Research um, in Dakota's name. So any... 100% of anything that we raise through the memorial service, the benefit, and the virtual shows 
all of that is going to go into research for Down syndrome. And I'm sure there's a lot of details to iron out because, uh, of course, the old school way of doing uh, benefits is, you know, you charge a cover and then the, the cover charge goes towards the, the, the benefit. The, well, if there's no, there's no cover because there's no crowd, right. you know, it's all virtual. That's a whole nother, do you set up a virtual tip bucket? Do you make it a thing where you, you, you pay to, to watch the concert? Like there's a lot of logistics to, to iron out and pan out. But. And, and it's not about money at all. It's about remembering Dakota. But I want people to know that by contributing, you're not contributing to Seeking 7. Right. You're contributing to Dakota has a little brother who has Down syndrome. And he always, always talked to me about putting up the benefit to to help the research to uh, go towards um, a benefit that, that supports Down syndrome people. Um, it was something that was just real dear and close to his heart. And, uh, and you, you can, I mean, you don't have to contribute a thing and it's not about money. However, when we go to whatever, um, society that, that most helps down syndrome patients and we give them a check in Dakota's name, um, we don't, we don't want it to be an embarrassing number. We want it to be right. substantial enough to say, this is how much he cared about it. And this is how much people, love Dakota to make this happen for him. And, uh, but it's definitely not about money. Right. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's continue. There will be a, uh, memorial service and, and several things, but we just don't know when that's going to be. We we definitely want to, a lot of details to iron. We want to be patient and we want to make sure the time's right. And most importantly, we want everyone to feel safe doing it. Well, to send us home, you know, we talked about um, doing Crucified. That was such a brilliant idea video that you did. Uh, I've watched it a, a lot of times. And just a little of uh, a factoid, and I'm sure you remember, but to remind everybody else, you debuted this song on Real Pop Culture. I did. I Where's did. my bell? <laughs> Shameless promotion tools missing. A little better late than never. Uh, yeah, you debuted this song on Real Pop Culture, and uh, yeah, to just walk us through that video. Like, I was like, "Dead gum, that's a good idea." Uh, well, first of all, the video happened because of the coach, and um, I remember, you know, him look, him and I looking at it together because albums are not free, unfortunately. And we were not booking a lot of shows at Well, the they're time. not free to make. Yeah, no. <laughs> but now they're free to listen to. Yeah, they're free to listen to, but not free to make. Um, and I remember that we, at one time, before the making of it, we sat down and we divided the cost between me and him. Uh, this is how much the record's going to cost. And, and, and we agreed to go half on half with it. And it turns out the making of the record and uh, distribution and all that was pretty substantial, you know, even that do it, do it yourself at home record. Oh yeah. Um, but a really, a video was not quite as expensive, but just, it, it was up there too. And I ended up making a deal with Dakota and, uh, I, one day I said, just the way it's panning out, I said, I tell you what, I'll pay for the record being made. 
if you pay for the video. And he's like, all right, good. I mean, he got the better end of the deal, but he was passionate from that point on about that video. Um, and that video happened because of Dakota. Uh, so uh, I know that's something that we kind of keep private in the band, you know, but Dakota paid for that video. You know? Oh, wow. I didn't know I that. paid for the album. He paid for the video. And that oh. was our agreement that we had come up with. And um, so we have that video because of Dakota. But, you know, uh, I remember I wrote a treatment and I pitched a bunch of ideas, like a bunch of them. They're all stupid, too. I had to pitch them for me to realize how stupid half of them were. And then I had actually finally settled on one. Dakota and I said, yeah, this is what we want. Dakota was happy. I was happy. Jake was happy. And it was just the three of us, me, Jake, and Dakota. And um, the week of the shot, this is after I've already talked to the guy producing the video and said, here's the treatment. This is what uh, we're doing. Sergi? Yeah, Sir, uh, Sergi. Sergi. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I already had conversation with him, and I gave him the treatment. And then, uh, so, but I was driving to work one morning, and then that was a mature. whole new idea. A whole new idea hit me about how I felt like people were living their lives in their phones yeah. and not paying attention to the good that's happening right there in front of you. And so I, I came up with the idea about the cell phones and I called Seiji up. Well, first I called Dakota and gave him, he goes, sold. That's it. That's what we're going to do. Um, and I called Seiji up and said, I'm so sorry. This is a last minute change. I know you hate this. And he was very reluctant to even hear my new pitch. Uh, but I said, this is what we're going to do. And after he heard it, he goes, cool. I like it. Let's do it. Brilliant. And that's how it came up. With, that's how it came up with it. But we had actually had the plan, the treatment and the plan and the script kind of written out weeks before this. But the actual one script that we stuck with, uh, we didn't come up with it. I, I came up with it at like the week up. And, uh, so we, I remember you telling me about it a couple of weeks before y'all committed it to tape. I got mm-hmm. an old term there. Uh, and I was like, damn. <laughs> like, I'm I'm proud of you and jealous at the same time that I, I wish that's something I'd come up with. You know, I, it's, it's so perfect for this day and age, too. It, like, it speaks by and it fits with the song <laughs> and, like, just the whole, the whole thing. Actually, it, you know, I really didn't think at the time that you know, people will pick up on it or it would even be a subject talked about. But when the video dropped, that's all people talked about it. They're like, they're like, Oh, the idea, whoever came up with this, they were like, that's so I didn't think of it as genius at the time. I was just well, like, it holds up. This in was such just a, way a statement. It, I really, it's becoming more true as time goes on. I, I wanted to, it's not dated because now if you came out with that video in 1997, when we were using flip phones, it'd been like, Oh, yeah. But from this point forward, it's only going to become more relevant yeah. because the, the the idea that people are living with their faces and their cell phones is even worse. Yeah, and you got to think about the next generation that comes. They don't know nothing else, you know? And uh, it's like the, the, the movie Wally. Yeah. It's like my favorite animated film. Um, it We're, we're practically living that. And, uh, you know, I, you and I can understand the statement because, before internet with feet on the streets a few flyers in your hand 
posting them on windows or walking through a mall. Save on the telephone pole. You can have 100 to 200 people at a show with very little effort. And now we got this wonderful tool called the internet that's at our fingertips. And, and we can't get people's faces off of it long enough. I mean, it's just such a different world than it used to be. You know, I mean, people used to look for reasons to get out of the house. Now they look for reasons to stay at home, you know, and, um, it's just a different world. Um, and it's a hard adjustment to make when, when people like you and I are, are used to that old way, you know? And, uh, you know, it, it is, it is a tough adjustment, you know? Um, but it is what it is. And, um, well, I encourage. Everyone. I just wanted to bring somebody's attention to it. That's the reason oh, I did yeah. the video. You, you definitely said it all in the video, and I, I liked it, the simplicity of it, and and the the huge message that. And also, what I was six to say is, I encourage anybody. We're fixing to play this song, but go watch the video. Uh, the company's song. Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing, and you truly get to see Dakota in his element. And that's that's why I cherish this particular video so much. Not because he paid for it, but because you get to witness Dakota at his finest moment. You know that we had as a band, and and him as a musician, and him in his element. You know, you know his obituary said he was a professional bass player. You could see that in this video why his obituary read that because he was he was every bit professional absolutely and my heart is going to forever be empty now that he's not here but you can witness it for yourself just go check out the video and here it is crucified by seeking seven
Revolution!